The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Rambo edition. Today we are talking Rambo First Blood Part 2, the 1985 movie directed by George P. Cosmatos. My name is Michael Schantz. I am from the How Dare You Awards. With me, your friend and mine, the fabulous Brit, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. I've always believed the mind is the best weapon. <laughs> that is a dang... I think you slowed that down a bit. I did, For yeah. the sake of uh, really laying in to Sylvester in an unfair way, I might add. But I really that thought, a... I, I put that quote down. I thought that was going to be your quote. You did? I be... thought it was going to be that or, sir, do we get to win this time? Well, I have written that quote down. It was on the. Sh- <laughs> it was definitely on the short list. Well, I just, I just went with that one because I think that is a dangerous line to put in the mouth of of uh, someone who sound who is the most stupid sounding person right. in cinema. <laughs> But as we well, speaking discussed of our pre- last episode, he's a he's you know he's a Secretly. sneaky smart person. Yeah, but Rambo isn't. <laughs> Ram- Rambo is not secretly no. smart. Oh, I don't know. I think, I think he is. I think, uh, in terms of in terms of a soldier. No. <laughs> Nonsense. No, the first movie you. You see, uh, he's always noticing everything. I'm talking about always... sequel Rambo. I'm not talking about First Blood Rambo. Yeah, but even in the sequels, he he mm. nothing gets past John J. Rambo. He notices everything. As a soldier, his entire approach is you do Home Alone for a bit. <laughs> then you bazooka people. And then, <laughs> and you, ste- then you steal an enemy vehicle and attack yeah. them with it. Yes. I mean, I could figure that out. Anyway. Like I said in our introductory episode, these sequels follow a formula. Which is set here. They have this they have the same exact story for every single sequel. But different wars. And yet manage to make every single sequel vastly different than the other. Yeah, it's like a it's it which you know, is quite a magic trick. Well, you know how they in you know the X Files they talk about the monster of the week episodes. Mm-hmm. In Rambo movies, it's like War of the Week. <laughs> this week's guest war, Afghanistan. <laughs> right, but it's the same. It's the same narrative template, but they work damn hard in this movie to allow that formula to even exist. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Well, let's get to it. I mentioned that this movie is directed by George P. Cosmatos. He has directed movies such as Leviathan, maybe my favorite bad movie of all time, Cobra, 
and Tombstone. I object to the use of the word bad, but we've already talked about bias, so move on. (laughs) You don't think, thinking objectively, you don't think Cobra's bad? I told you I'm so, I love you. I am so deep in the hole, I cannot tell you. (laughs) I fucking love that movie so much. Everything about it. But uh, that's not for this podcast. No. This movie had a budget, Tom, of $44 million. Almost got half of it back in its opening weekend, 20.1. Made $150 million in the USA. Worldwide, $300 million. Smash fucking hit. Deservedly. Not only did it make all that money, Ronald Reagan, huge fan. I wish when you think about what this movie's <laughs> trying to say politically, but how much this movie represents Ronald Reagan's America. I can just imagine he, him like having the White House screening and then just standing up and going, "Well, my work here is done, everyone." <laughs> exactly right. I done what I set out to to do for this country. <laughs> What it's interesting, and we will talk about one of the 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 many giveaways that Murdoch is a lying sack of shit. But one of them is sure. that is that he doesn't he has a really shitty photograph of Reagan stapled to a chalkboard. Yeah, I saw that as as if you know Reagan is some kind of sultan who deserves to be <laughs> deserves to be like on a you know some kind of some kind of dictatorial photograph on a dais. Right. Okay, so we talked in our introductory episode. I think what we maybe we where we should start with this movie. I mean, you said you have plenty of things to say about James Cameron and his work on this movie. And I'll, I'll just I'll give you the floor. Well, I, my, I have no, plenty Michael, to say I, too, but I'm interested in what, you, what, what, where you want to go. We will, we will get there. But Michael, I have to disappoint you. We have Uh-oh. to start. We have to start before that, before the involvement of James Cameron is even mentioned in this movie. Okay. I am legit, oh. legitimate, <laughs> legitimately fascinated by the opening scene of this movie. Oh, me too. I don't think we would be doing this movie justice if we did not t- talk about how hard this opening scene is working to justify the existence of this movie. <laughs> well, you, you may have to I, split this podcast in half because of the amount I want to talk about this one <laughs> scene. Okay? Well, that's a warning. I, my very first note is wait, they're blasting granite? Right above all the prisoners? <laughs> you know what? That, Seems dangerous. That didn't even cross my mind because the sole purpose of that is to is to say, this is an action movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then they pan down, the camera pans down to the prisoners, the chain gang, as if to say, but first we've got to get out of this corner that we've written ourselves into (laughs) where Rambo is in jail. Stupid last movie. Let's take care of business. (laughs) Because 
none of this happens unless we find a way to get Rambo off this chain gang. We Yeah. Well, and just even some of the verbiage used, because Colonel Troutman shows up, as played by Richard Crenna. Ugh. Amazing. God, I love him. Amazing. God, I love him. And he attempts but, small talk with Rambo. Right. Which is never yes. a good idea. How no. are you, Johnny? To which Stallone replies, good. Meh. Not true. <laughs> Wasn't true before, isn't true now. <laughs> he's never good in any of these movies. He's, he's never good. And yet this is the most successful example of small talk in this movie. Yes. And, You're you know, right about that. We've and but I like. I also love the idea of your name was one of three names dug up by a computer. I am fascinated by. Maybe this is where we get into James Cameron because amazing. Your name was dug out by. Computer I want to know <laughs> as one of three most able to yeah. complete the mission. I want to know about that computer, is and I so want to know about these other two people. Exactly. Now they don't. They just say computer. This could be someone's Atari, or the computer from Superman Three. We don't know. Well, because also, if it what is it the computer from this movie? Because that's just a silver box with lights. <laughs> that line got that. That line taught told me that this movie is going to cover all its bases. It's not going to yes. give you room to deny this movie's existence because first of all we have a legitimate character reason why troutman would uh offer yes. this job to rambo yeah. because he owes him a debt basically he said he was going to keep him out of jail he didn't and now he's in a you know so he's so he's saying i'm making good on my promise that's kind of really well, all also, we need you in know, terms of justification right justification sure but, but also we... what do you make of doesn't he twice you know well, certainly once at the end. Johnny, I just want you to know I did everything I could to keep you out of this hellhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we have the the computer as, like, the 80s excuse. You know, it's like, yes. oh, well, it was selected by computer, so it, mu it must be right. As you How said, what about be? those other two people? I'm assuming neither of them are on a chain gang. <laughs> right, exactly. That was my thought. Are these two in jail? Where's the ranking? Is Rambo number one? Then maybe you could justify getting him out of jail. But if Rambo's number two, why not go to number one? Right. Somebody not in jail. Then, then Rambo starts asking very inconvenient questions. Why now? Why me? Let's just assume the computer got it right. Which it yeah. didn't. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and th then a line that you've already mentioned, do we get to win this time? Mm -hmm. They're not even pretending that they're not trying to reenact the Vietnam War. Right. There's no, it's not even like, you you know what this movie is going to be. The, this movie boldly tells you exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> like, and then the, the most amazing part to me about that exchange, though, is he asks, sir, do we get to win this time? Troutman replies, this time you get to decide. Meanwhile, Troutman, I think, knows that the mission is for him to just go and take pictures. Oh, I can't believe he was hired as a photographer. 
Right. <laughs> it's amazing. That's why I want to know more about this computer and its selection yes, exactly. process. Why weren't they trying to find Ansel Adams or the Ansel Adams equivalent? <laughs> or maybe maybe they're like, you know, still they they accidentally thought he was Sylvester Stallone. They're like, well, he, you know, he's such a good film director that he'd be the perfect person for the job. <laughs> I mean, so all of that fascinates me endlessly. Also, the fact that this is a cold open, which apparently sequels have more of than any other kind of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm is sorry. Is that our first for... imbasse? That's my first imbasse. It must be a sequel yeah. because we begin with a with a cold open. With and a cold you know, open. you've already mentioned, you know, how how Reaganite this movie is, but they oh, mention man. a pre- they mention a presidential pardon. Mm-hmm. Uh and obviously, you know, that functions in the story as as an incentive for Rambo to 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 do something that really, you know, a, a traumatized war veteran would never actively submit subject themselves to. Right. But so it's it's a MacGuffin, but it's also like, you know, if you think of it in literally in terms of Reagan, who was the president at the time, it made me think, why is he even in jail at the first place? Why hasn't this presidential pardon happened already? Happened already. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I, I was just endlessly fascinated by that. Uh, and the computer part of it really stuck out. And that's that's where the James Cameron-ness of it all really struck me. Yeah. Because... Well, and I just noticed, because I have a note for that for that line, sir, do we get to win this time? My note next to it is, this is the movie. This is the whole movie. This yeah. is what this movie is about. We are we are going to fight the Vietnam War again via one man, John J. Rambo. History be damned. Yeah, history be damned. <laughs> we are relitigating through violence the Vietnam War. <laughs> Um, and this, you know, I, I I made a bold claim in the in the well, I, I mentioned that I have a bold claim about this movie and it's about this scene. And my claim is that if by some calamity, the rest of this movie were lost forever, mm-hmm. if only this scene exists, I would still call it a good movie. Right. <laughs> that is how much I love this scene. It's... <laughs> because none That's of this great. happened. None of any of what's going to happen in, you know, the rest of the franchise can happen without this scene. Without that scene, right. And the writers know, to be fair, as, as, as weird as it is, as weird as some aspects of it are, the writers know that and they know they have to work through the clunkiness of this mm-hmm. this should never exist before we can get rolling all right so let me ask you how much do you know about James Cameron's draft not much not much only to say that the general anti-technology line of his thinking has definitely made it into the final movie <laughs> <laughs> right He's cutting away all his equipment. <laughs> well, a movie that ends with a bank of of uh, computers being machine gunned. Right. Where every time 
the government is blamed the american government or agents of the government are blamed for anything computers are also blamed by name electric dream style to name just a deliciously bad 1980 because computers can be reprogrammed apparently to select rambo for a photography mission (laughs) oh man that's one of my another one of my favorite scenes is right at the beginning okay so you know he has his meeting with troutman they get him on a chopper he's out of jail he comes to learn about the mission he learned he he has this that wonderful line, I've always believed that the mind is the best weapon. And he just, it's so, you know, all of this is for you, Rambo. We've got the best guns and the best computers, the best high tech. Mm-hmm. It's all for you. I believe the mind is, I've always believed the mind is the best weapon, which kind of alarms Murdoch. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's a patsy, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's being set up. For, he, doesn't, uh... he doesn't like that. No. Um, but then you have Rambo getting ready and the shots of him getting ready are just the biggest batch of fucking greatness where you just see muscles, knives, boots, tying laces, more knives, bullets, guns, loading, and, oh, film and camera. Don't forget, he's a photographer. (laughs) (laughs) Which which he then loses midair. Yeah. In uh, a parachuting accident that serves only to turn him in, in you know. Only that to parachuting ter- accident is another impasse. You know, it's yeah, the I've got, everything, everything that can go wrong will go wrong kind of impasse. It's a, it's an impasse in that sense and also in that it's an implausible coincidence that allows right. it, the, yeah, you got the it. Implausible to, coincidence. Like a returning character to, to enter exactly the same scenario is the original because let's not forget he's working mm-hmm. for the government here he's backed by the american government right but they need to turn him into a rebel so the only way to do that is to have him lose all his equipment midair and they lose track of him so now he's on his own but it is a justification for the choices he makes he decides to take one pow as proof, because he doesn't have his camera. Is that what he's doing? I think so. Because... Doesn't that make the most logical sense? He leaves all the others there. In in this movie, but he continues to do that throughout all the movies. He True. only ever takes one prisoner. And it's well, and so, and sometimes he a leaves... white person. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want right. to tip the balance too much, but... Um, well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this this to me is like the peak of montage based filmmaking in certainly in the 1980s, perhaps in all of American cinema. Oh, yeah. It is like montage heavy and montage, you know, like montage in, in a very montage. Montages are, are a huge 80s thing. Right. But it's also montage in a very traditional 1920s Russian expressionist way. Like, this, these <laughs> movies remind me of, like, this is where I think Secret Smart Guy comes into play. I know he didn't direct uh-huh. this, but um, 
like this this idea at montage is about the clash of imagery. You you you're cutting between two opposing things, and here it's like man, machine, and cutting back and forth between yeah. them to show how different they are. Uh, they're not actually that different, but that's okay because the montage bridges the gap. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just think it's it's beautifully done and. Uh, really like this this style of filmmaking is in its element in this movie completely uh this movie is so in its element and it's it you know if you watch any of those singing shows when they say uh you were just so in the pocket this movie is in the pocket (laughs) <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, those we're singing shows. We're about... so old. Yeah, we're so old. <laughs> we're gonna continue talking about the gloriousness of Rambo: First Blood Part Two. We'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing Rambo First Blood Part 2, the 1985 film. Can we briefly talk about that title? Yeah, so I was going to say that Tom Tom's... Tom's got a you know an itch in his pants for this title, so like yeah, there's a lot to say about the title, isn't there? It contains multitudes. I I think of it as like a Venn diagram title. Mm-hmm. So going right to left. Yeah, left. Well, it's... yeah. No, sorry, sorry. Going left to right, like definitely going left to right. The title goes right to left, but we go we'll go left to right, left to right, <laughs> as one does when they read. Well, this title... I knew what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's First Blood, colon, Rambo is part of what they want to say. Going right to left, it's uh, First Blood Part 2. And in the middle of that is Rambo, First Blood, Part 2. <laughs> so, they just... They split the difference, basically, between two ways of titling this movie. Right? Well, but also, I mean, 
I remember reading something about they just wanted to call it Rambo 2, but felt compelled to add First Blood because the first movie's called First Blood. And this is what they came up with. It's like the titling equivalent of the Mrs. Voorhees, Jason Voorhees. Right. Dilemma. It's like... <laughs> it's like, this is a sequel to First Blood, but it's really the first of the Rambo the movies. The first of the Rambo movies. Exactly right, yeah. And, again, this is what I mean. This movie covers all its bases. But this, because... this, title, this <laughs> title is just a bridge to Rambo 3. Which, which is as what we'll they t- wanted to do. Well, which is what, as, we, as we'll talk about in the next episode, Rambo 3 is not Rambo 3. It's Rambo 2. <laughs> right. If you want to get technical. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, like, it's like you want to make choices by making no choices. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd say that that sums up this movie in a nutshell. Completely. That's it. That's my that's my t- uh, titling corner. All right. Well, as we've discussed, Rambo has been hired as the world's uh, most armed photographer. <laughs> he is supposed to get himself to the village and snap photo proof of POWs. Meanwhile, the big bad government doesn't want any photos of POWs. Right. So badly that when confronted with saving a POW, they say, no, thank you. Turn around. Mm -hmm. That's pretty villainous. It is. And it's without much cause to be. I mean, am I to understand that Murdoch is going to get in trouble if he saves POWs? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. Astonishing. <laughs> there are two. There, there. I mean, there's so many great things about Murdoch as played by Charles Napier. Who's oh, a, Charles Napier is a just, wonderful character actor. He's so great. God, I love him. And you know, he fills that Brian Dennehy hole down to the shape of his face. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you know, as as I as I alluded to before, before you know, it doesn't take long for Rambo to expose him as a fraud, uh, claiming that right. he served in Vietnam before he, he even leaves. Right before he even leaves, but even before that, there's a fact that he's the only person there feeling the heat, and supposedly mm-hmm. served in Vietnam. He steals a coke, which is American oh, coke treason. Is all up in this movie, he steals a can of coke. I mean, that man, is that's sedition right there. And uh, he has that, you know, he hasn't given Reagan his due photographic respect on the uh, in the office. On In the office. That photo should be fucking framed. But in the scene, the later scene where he explains himself to Troutman, I, I like start to see his point of view a little bit. First of all, he says to Troutman, like, his justification for what he does is, like, I was so obviously a villain from the start. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> that you should have known something was up. And I'm like, that, that, that's your fault. That is undeniable, first of all. Yeah. Secondly, like, you know, I mean, I don't know where we are. You know, By the time this episode comes out, I don't know where America's going to be politically. But he he's saying the kinds of 
things that, although not you're not happy to hear are like political realities. He says, like, do you really think some, they're going to stand up on the floor of Congress and say this? And, you know, I when I'm thinking about, you know, whether the Republicans in the Senate are going to impeach, you know, going to remove Trump from office even after Biden right. takes yeah. over, I'm saying the same things. It's like, you can you really see M- Mitch McConnell getting up on the floor and removing a... Republican president from office and that's kind of all that Murdoch's saying so at that point I'm like well at least at least you get his perspective on things and you can sort of see do you understand ladies and gentlemen how deeply Rambo First Blood Part 2 speaks to our times today this movie's timeless Tom but at least you know unlike in I think probably future movies like the the, the villain gets a chance to get more than lip service as to like their view of the world like and that's partly why it's so good that you have an actor like Charles Napier yeah where you you like he can do the cartoonish villain thing really well but he can really also pull well. it, pull it back and go look i'm just a bureaucrat like i'm i'm under pressure too and i like that I think that's yeah. where this movie is like more interestingly written than some of the later ones. Right. Because this is the this is the last time that you're going to have any kind of villainy from the American side. Yeah. For for reasons that we'll explain in the next episode, they take it easy on the government bureaucrats in the next movie. In the next sequel, right. Um, if for no other reason because it's Kurtwood Smith and you gotta show respect to Kurtwood Smith but I digress so Rambo we already kind of talked about the impasse where he of course he gets hung up in the plane and I, I can't even begin to fathom why he has to cut all of his equipment off so that he can get to the cord that is hanging him up but he so does. he can be a maverick. That's basically yeah, it. Yeah, so it basically it's so he can be a one man army. Luckily, he so still he does... has his crossbow. Right. Not crossbow, but his uh, bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. But but that sort of that's immediately undermined, beautifully undermined. I might add by you know the only way he's getting anywhere in that jungle is through Ko, his female Vietnamese ally on the ground right she's like and this is the she's the only difference between him living or dying sequel what's that she's the only difference between him living or dying for all his home alone right survivalist shit (laughs) she's the she's the real badass oh completely she is she is the person she is the bravest person in the movie. <laughs> By a long way. By a and pay, long shot. And pays the price, I may And add. pays the price. <laughs> and here's my question for you. I mean, we're jumping ahead a bit. Or maybe I should save it. Well, no. So the, the moment when she dies. Yeah. And they take the care to show this moment where Rambo forgets something on the rock and has to turn back. And that's the only reason he's not dead, too. Hmm. It seems so purposeful in the sort of 
guise of uh, surviving half of surviving war is luck, I guess. Do you think that that was like a really conscious choice in that moment? I I mean, you we 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 can continue to talk about Cole and 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 how badass she is in this movie. All of that is undone for me by making her a sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we failed the Bechdel test because her death is solely about oh, Rambo. Man. It only serves to stop Rambo from turning into a normal human being, right? Because he's in in you know in his romantic relationship with her, in opening up to her, he's starting to become a real person. Person. And the movie can't. And this is the only survive. sequel that attempts that. It's this o- is the movie. Like we can't. This movie can't survive that. So yeah. they have to kill her. So he has something else to get vengeful about. Well, Aside from the Vietnam not, War. It's not just that this movie can't survive that, but further sequels couldn't survive that. So she has to go. Yes, although I would argue, and we'll, we'll get there, but I would argue in Rambo 3, they f- throw a similar kind of sentimental curveball in sure. in his way, and he sort of... Uh, that, that helps kind of normalize him. And that he leaves that movie relatively normal. Um, but this movie doesn't go that doesn't go that far. I'm glad they don't go that far for lots of reasons, but I'm also disappointed that this was the device that they chose, chose for that to, use. to happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm with you on that for sure. Interesting. I remember the first time I saw this movie being really fascinated that a woman was brought into the series in which, mm-hmm. like, the first movie was completely devoid of women. Yeah, one woman in the whole movie. Yeah. And that's in the first minute of the movie. <laughs> right. And it's, his, and it's his comrade's wife, so he can't, like, get any from her. Well, and I remember thinking, I, I'm really <laughs> curious as to who wrote the woman into this screenplay. Right. Is it a device of James Cameron or is this Sylvester Stallone? Because we were speaking earlier Mm. about what James Cameron... James Cameron's version was way heavy on the POWs and you got a lot of backstory on the POWs and what was going on with the POWs. So he said when, when Stallone changed that, that he may as well been going into Vietnam to get a six pack of beer. (laughs) <laughs> because that's, that's how void you are of of anything to do. I think with that's a little unfair. The POWs, and I, I, you know, I think I'm on your side where I think that's a maybe a bit too far. But you can't completely discredit that point no. either. No. Well, that's interesting because I think some of some of that resonates a little bit i mean the the scene the kind of pivotal scene in the movie where rambo is you know has managed to rescue one prisoner you say he's taking him as proof i i i just think that this is the this is how rambo sees war you save one prisoner you've saved them all um (laughs) i just think that's his way of looking at the world uh but i'll be honest though i had never considered that 
until this viewing. Right. Interesting. It was on this viewing that I thought, hey, wait a second. He lost all his equipment. So isn't the logical thing? He's got to prove to them that they're there. He can't just say they're there. That's why he's doing this. Yeah. That but, makes the most sense to me. But they, you know, the the they t- the the mercenaries led by Martin Coves Ericsson um, yeah, t- turn great. a gun on Troutman, make him turn away. And that image of the helicopter leaving looked forward to movies like Platoon yeah. for me. Because this is pre-Platoon, right? Platoon's 86. Correct. So I'm getting the flavor of what Cameron's talking about, this sort of like, this you know, uh, this movie about how we've forgotten our POWs and how we've left people behind. Like, it's there, and there are moments of it. But, yeah, it's not not big on the agenda. It's there, but it's also... As soon as the Russians enter the picture, I think it's all over, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) I have have nothing but questions about Russians. Why are they there? What's going on? I mean, I know that there were some Russian soldiers in Vietnam, but, like, really they were supplying equipment and arms. Well, that first of all, that in 1985, the Russians are still there. What? First, first of all, they 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 basically come in and do everything but say, "We're the second act villains." Right. <laughs> Secondly, Stephen Burkoff walks straight off the set of Octopussy, and oh, straight into he here walks, without even I would say changing he walks clothes. Straight off the set of Beverly Hills Cop. Mr. But he is literally the same character he plays in Octopussy. I don't even think his outfit is different. <laughs> and, you know, just just as a kind of a, a slight digression, this movie is like a the nexus of mid-80s movie franchises. Yeah. With, like, Martin Cove, James Cameron behind the scenes, Sylvester Stallone, Stephen Burkoff. That's Karate Kid, Aliens, Terminator. Yeah, right. Rocky... I mean, it's insane, but um, yeah. As soon, as soon as the rush, you know, as soon as the Russians this arrive, this movie's got tentacles that reach out to. But going to... back to you, you made a really interesting point about whose choice it was to have Co in the movie and for Rambo to have a romance. Yeah. I get the sense that one of the big changes is not just about how Rambo is characterized, but about how Stallone's screen image has changed since First Blood. Oh, that's interesting. Because in this movie, I see, and this is uh, goes to at least the next movie for sure. You know, he is that it's his status as sex symbol that's on show in a way that it wasn't in the first movie. Oh yeah, I mean, like one of the my leech first notes thong is, scene. Where I've he, never the, seen a man so in shape. <laughs> I mean, the what I like to refer to is the leech thong scene where he's dragged yes. out of. A swamp. I, uh, it's a like, shit swamp with, with hog shit dripping into it. Yeah, it's all to look at his body. You know, his greased up muscles being electrocuted. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, the torture is much more sexy in this movie. And I think that's and all he's about. And like, he's getting electrocuted by original Vinnie Jones. Is who <laughs> I'm choosing to call too. that character. I thought that too. <laughs> Wow. That's weird that we both thought the same thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so that's I think and I think that partly well, we've explains before, why because there's, there's a lot of body horror in this movie. 
Yeah, and this this comes back again and again. It's like at some point in all of these movies, it ventures into pure body horror. Mm-hmm. Like the, the 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 level, you know, it, the violence becomes so extremely graphic and absurd that you can only think of horror movies. I mean, there's a scene in this movie where a Vietnamese soldier explodes. Yes. I mean, that's straight out of Scanners. Yeah. It's not, like, there's no, there's no also, difference between that and the beginning of Scanners. But also, by design in the movie, it is designed to be the cheering moment in the theater. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Which I think, again, speaks to Ronald Reagan's America. <laughs> The and American also how horror movies work. at play in this movie is like striking you know uh, and also that you know it speaks to this functioning you know being a de facto horror movie because it's you, you know yeah. that's that's the money shot of scanners is the head blowing up and here it's right. the money sh- well i mean there is a literal money shot in this movie where you see money being counted over rambo's face but let's we're talking symbolically here about the money <laughs> Neither shot. here nor there right <laughs> there isn't there is a literal and figurative money shot in this movie um and uh but yeah i mean this movie particularly i felt that there was a there was definitely a gothic monster movie vibe to it mm-hmm. they're kind of being tortured with electricity they're coming out of the mud like a like a swamp monster they're right. very very the kind of chiaroscuro lighting, which is you know very common in those Universal horror movies. Like I think mm-hmm. it's deliberate. I think it's like a, again. I think it's like it's cinephilia. Well, I was we... going to ask you. Do you think that's the director? Is that George B. Cosmatos? And I got to be a little or bit is of it Stallone's hand well. as well. Okay. I mean, you know, I I whenever I think about this, it's like whether this is accidental or deliberate. I think about listening to Stallone talk about, you know, how he wrote the script for Rocky and basically studied cinema. You know, he learned through watching movies. He had no formal training as a screenwriter yeah. or filmmaker. Right. And he just he went to movies and he he like went home and wrote down on notepads what he'd seen and like and tried to recreate it. And I feel like at the very least movies that feature Stallone where he produces them or something have got this this sense of cinema history about them which sort of puts it above a lot of his contemporaries as enjoyable as their movies are I mean you right. don't feel that in a Chuck Norris movie for no, instance no right there's 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 something at play within the schlock right? I think so it, or, yeah. or it kind of knows how to do schlock cinematically based on the way we've done it before and it's leaning into that and nodding and winking at the audience especially in this these first two sequels yeah i i think so i mean just even the fact that uh you know stephen burkoff arrives as the as the russian general and i'm like you know he really is just walking out of octopussy into here it's like it's like this movie exists in a universe of mid 80s cinema Mm-hmm. Where characters can just wander in from other franchises, <laughs> yeah, you know that's kind of how it feels. Uh, like you said, these movies are so 
so of their moment, so representative of a time in history. Oh, yeah. And that works cinematically too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you wouldn't think of, to say this about an 80s movie, but it works for this movie. Being stuck oh, yeah. in its time, you know? So I am I'm constantly reminded as I watch Rambo First Blood Part 2 whenever I watch that movie I I think I'm always marveling at I keep saying to myself why does this movie work? Yeah. <laughs> how did the how did they do it? But I mean it's like it's as close as you'll get to a non-ironic version of McBain from the Simpsons. Yes, right. When he's machine gunning those computers. Computers. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is a moment of excess that 80s cinema will never recover from. Yeah. And yet, you're right. It all somehow works. A lot of it, I think, is down to, like, pockets of good writing. You know, the fact that there's, there's, an, there's a sense of, you know, we're making a... We are making a war movie, and this time Rambo's going to win and save the POWs. And that's the kind of essential structure. But beneath that, there's a lot of fault lines there. Yeah. Like, even the first shot, which shows this kind of serene, peaceful Buddhist temple. And then an, and then an American military helicopter swoons in, and it's just like... Swoons in. yeah, right. This sense of, like, U.S. is coming to fuck the country up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, all these, this serene image of rice farming. And I mean, there's something slightly racist in there suggesting that Vietnam just suddenly regained its normality after the, yeah. the war ended, which is bullshit. But, you know. Well, and we'll it was talk- problematic because there's a scene in here where I, 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 rem- I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, he's lighting their fields on fire and blowing up their village. Yeah. They're the good guys, the villagers. But, but only look, the... let's take a, we got to take another break, okay. and then we'll come back and we'll we'll finish up with Rambo: First Blood Part Two. It's never finished. Never. <laughs> we seriously could talk about this movie for three hours. We're not going to, but I could. All right. Well, we'll you can right turn back. my microphone off, but I will. <laughs> If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, 
you might even see me. And we're back again. Tom and I are here discussing Rambo First Blood Part 2. Can we talk? So we we talked about the death of Ko. Is it Ko? Yep. And then, and then we go into full one-man army mode. Can we talk about that whole sequence? Oh, when the bandana goes on? When the bandana comes on, the necklace comes on, and this is where this movie goes to pure deliciousness for me. Yeah, I mean, my this there you so much in this sequence. Him, I've already talked about him merging out of the mud, and mm-hmm. just to you know, just to show this really is a horror movie. You'll appreciate this, Michael. He cleans up fast. Yeah. So it must be, I bet you thought about that, didn't you? How quickly he gets clean from being a mud monster. Well. That's how you know it's a horror movie. My, 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 my former, my, my former grievances against other movies had far more to do with having to clean up the blood, not yourself. Okay. I I still think it's rather implausible that he could could shed an entire body of mud in that time. Right. It's such a great moment in this movie where this guy walks in front of a mud wall and all of a sudden you have the rack focus from him to the mud and eyes open up and he comes and knifes him. But I think I'm also right, Tom, when I say the very next kill is him coming out of a pond with a waterfall coming over it to arrow somebody. Yeah, that'll take care of all that mud. Right. So. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and this in all the implausibility that this movie offers to you, that's where I draw the line. That's where you draw the line. Is yeah, bud. Okay. And it's it's just interesting. I guess you know the next movie is far more propaganda, but the he he runs through the the a village the a Vietnamese village, and everyone there is looking at him. I don't know how they were directed, but the effect is maybe it's the way it's edited. It's like, hmm, I'm changing my mind about Americans. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, doesn't him storming through your village on some kind of warpath confirm Half everything you think about Americans? With a bow and arrow? And then we get to what is possibly... Not to mention, he kills a chicken oh, and steals a can of gas. This may be my, kind of, secretly my favorite moment of this movie, which, although it turns into something else later, we have a moment where it seems as if what we're getting is a chicken reaction shot. <laughs> because because it comes at the end of a montage of reaction shots from the villagers and then it goes yeah. to the chicken and at that point we don't know that he's going to kill the chicken and use it to trap the uh his his uh, pursuers his enemies yeah but but at that i just thought the chicken was was looking like everyone else was like wow look at rambo go look at that that guy is cut <laughs> and then and then immediately kill you know immediately throttles him yeah. Uh, and, and, and and so you know, to, but but to your point about the villagers all looking like these Americans aren't so bad, and then he trapes through their village, <laughs> lights their brush on fire, and then starts blowing their fucking huts up. And now they've got no eggs because that was their only chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, 
But my favorite, I mean, the mud is really, really great. But one of my favorite moments in this whole bit of nonsense, did you notice that there's a Russian soldier who seems to sort of trip over some vines and then starts sliding down a hill? None of which would seem to cause him harm to his cause any harm to his voice box mm. and yet he can't call out for help he's going ah, 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 and then you know rambo grabs him and stabs him mm. i am astounded by that scene every time i see it i'm like scream scream soldier scream you can scream and he won't scream <laughs> it's everything is so on the nose as like a plot point or a function, right down to the chicken reaction shot. Uh huh. Because you know, as soon as you see that blood, you're like, "Oh, it's the chicken's blood," and this kind of works in the same way. Like, right. like don't don't look too hard at the logic of it, but we need to get from this point to this point, and here's how we do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love the fact that you know this is where this is where. You know, the idea of him being this low-tech mental magician kind of breaks down because I feel we could all achieve that if we had bombs on the end of our arrows. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we could all win a war that way if we have (laughs) bombs coming out of our arrows. Anyway. um, And... I mean, then we've got the exploding soldier, which we've, you talked about as the, as the yeah, kind we've of got, right. the money shot. But then, so we have the exploding, the exploding soldier followed by, I don't know exactly what kind of bomb it is, but the, you know, the, the bomb, the bomb that you hang by a wire underneath your helicopter. Right, right. Those are common. Right. And that's just explosion porn for the action fans. But then you have Vinnie Jones hovering the the helicopter. Well, Vinnie Jones and the pilot hovering the chopper, you know, three feet from a pond, mm-hmm. trying to M sixty the water below. <laughs> and I keep I keep thinking, hey, if you get up, you'll have more an area to shoot at. But. <laughs> They make the tragic mistake, and Rambo is able to jump up onto the helicopter, kill Vinny, kill Vinny, and then I just love that the pilot, who's probably got to be thirty or forty feet up, chooses to, you know what? Keep I'll take my chances falling onto the rocks. It's great. Well, he's seen he's seen what happened to to Vinny Jones. Um, I I yeah. Go, going to things that you know again, just point, just just like how deliciously on the nose everything is. There's a slow motion scene of Rambo going through mud. Mm-hmm. All slow motion is unnecessary, but it's especially gratuitous when you're climbing in mud, which already <laughs> makes you slow. <laughs> then he blows up. Every single rock surf rock formation in the known area. Mm-hmm. It is literally overblown action. <laughs> like there's it's it's not even symbolic. It is overblown. There's too many explosions. Interesting but, fact, 
yeah. there's not too many explosions because all those explosions got the Rambo series its one Oscar nomination. Oh, quite Sound rightly. Sound effects editing. Quite rightly. Uh, <laughs> but this, this interestingly, in terms of the series, this kind of begins an, an arc that will take us to the... the the end of the first half at the end of uh, Rambo 3 which is this they're, they're sort of laying the groundwork to see uh, Rambo as this kind of Bond-like action hero earlier on in the movie Co says like what happened to you uh, with regards to the parachute accident and he says I got hung up which is just a Bond mm. line you know yeah. and then We've got. I mean, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent is in in First Blood. Maybe him riding the motorbike through the the town, which is fairly low key compared to fighting in a moving helicopter. Right, right. It'll take us to the end of Rambo Three before we fully realize that transition. But they're definitely laying the groundwork here to turn him into this slick action hero. Rather oh, I don't than... know that. I don't think we have to even wait until Rambo three. I, you know, we're getting there, but it's still a sense that like action hero is on full display in this movie. Yeah, but they're still making. They're still again working very hard to show us that he's still driven by trauma. Okay. Yeah. Through co dying, which again is not a good way to do that, and you know his trauma should come from the fact that he's got PTSD from the Vietnam War. From apparently the that's War, right. apparently that's not enough. Um, so he's still driven by that as opposed to just wanting to blow shit up, which is very heavily the implication in the next movie that he can't oh, live yeah. without blowing shit up. That's basically what right. Troutman says that's psychologically what, yeah. about him. Psych, yeah, exactly. Um, we'll get there when we get there, but I'm fascinated by where the, these movies choose to go with this story arc of this character. Right. But but again, you know, like it's then, you know, the bomb arrows, bazooka, then a familiar kind of story of bazooka stealing the helicopter, blowing shit up with their own weapons. Um, I don't know why those Followed pri- by helicopter chase. Yeah. I don't know why that prisoner of war is looking at, at the sky like it's freedom, given what's happened to him just in the movie because of Rambo. Right. Like he well, he's like, he's nearly escaped, a... got tortured. Somehow they don't kill him when Rambo's gone. I don't know what that's about. Right. Um. And now he's like Rambo's here to save the day. It's like, well, if, if I was in that position, I'd probably think I'll just stay here. I'll take my chances. <laughs> thanks. I've seen what I've seen what your help does for me. Exactly. But also the interesting thing in these this movie is. This movie is trying desperately at times to pepper in poignancy. Yes. <laughs> you know, when the POW asks, what year is it anyway? 1985. And they linger on the look on his face. Of Do you not like and that? Of awe and horror of not being able to believe how long he's been a prisoner of war. And this movie actually got into a lot of trouble. Like, a lot of people didn't like this storyline because they were saying there are no live POWs in Vietnam in 1985. Like you're giving hope to families, hope to families through Rambo, which said, you know, was a, you know, if you're getting your hope through this franchise, 
Well, like you said, there's probably no Russian soldiers there either. Certainly right. not. Yeah. Certainly not yeah, running exactly. things. Not running in charge. They're in charge in this movie. But at any rate, so there, they, you know, these little moments are peppered throughout the movie, and then all of a sudden, you get to the end. I mean. The chopper, you know, you have the chopper chase. I, the one thing that at least these first two movies do, I'm not going to say well, but I think it's hysterical, is the bad guys always chasing Rambo and a chopper seem yeah. to launch a missile right near him that clouds their view long enough that Rambo <laughs> could disappear in a helicopter around a bend and land it <laughs> towards them. It happens in the third movie too. It's it's it it always makes me laugh out loud every time it happens because they have this fantastic kind of close up shot of dust and debris and fire and smoke and brimstone, followed by the quizzical look of someone who can't see where that chopper went, you know, or where that tank went. But also deniability that Rambo's not just as culpable for endangering those, the Vietnamese on the ground as the Russians are. But the film seems yeah. to make out that only the Russian helicopter that's pursuing the other Russian helicopter that happens to have Rambo in pose any threat to them. <laughs> like, the shots that we see only show the Russian helicopter, like, uh, you know, like, dropping, uh, crashing or dropping things on them. And, like, right, these two helicopters are equally responsible for this helicopter chase. That's how a chase <laughs> yeah, right, works. right. Well, and certainly at play throughout the series is this battle, this internal battle that John J. Rambo has with himself as to who he is and who he wants to be. Yeah. And especially in the first two movies, there's always this moment of choice for him. Because it's very satisfying. I mean, we come in and we have the ridiculous shooting up of the computers. But then it's knife time for, for Murdoch, for Charles Napier. Mm -hmm. And you get to see him have the comeuppance that you want him to have. Yeah. But it's also always posed with John J. Rambo having to make a choice. That he has to do throughout the series and he always chooses not to murder. Yeah. Not to murder the most murderable person, yeah. But to but to allow a lot of less murderous and more innocent people die as a result, right? But then uh, and then so he makes that choice, and then I don't know if how you feel about th th this the, the very last portion, his portion with with Troutman, because Mix. they want their cake and they want to have yes. their cake and eat it too. Boy, they do totally they. want the moment from the first movie. They want a do-over on it. And so when we yeah. spoke in our last episode, in our introductory episode, this is what I was speaking to about the good actor, bad actor, and like how much <laughs> like how much leeway do you give him? Because this speech where he, you know, that starts with, I want what they want, <laughs> you know, and the whole speech mm. about soldiers being cared for and loved. And, you know, you forget today that... We didn't love the military at one point in this country. Yeah. You know? Right. So what's your so, take on that scene? Is it the worst acting? Is it 
actually good acting, but that we credit as bad acting? Like, he's not... Is he being emotionally dishonest? I don't think so. No, I think I think the problem is content. Is is content? It becomes fierce. The the end of the movie becomes fiercely pro-American in a very sappy mm-hmm. kind of way that that sentimentalizes what's going on in a way that's very disingenuous. Yes, I mean, as soon as Fra- right. as soon as Frank Stallone comes on the soundtrack with the the song "Peace in oh, Our Life," boy. that's my last. You note. know. I mean, yeah, you, you know you, that you... When your movie's ending with a song that is created by, written by, and sung by Frank Stallone, you think... Who who I have a theory about. That... <laughs> brought us off the rails a bit. Who I have a theory about uh, that, I'll br- that I'll raise in, in later episodes of this franchise. Um, okay. Yeah, the, so, you know, the... Obviously, this movie musically, you know, in what it's showing, in 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 way it's styled, is is kind of triumphalist in the way it sees, you know, patriotism right. and flag waving. But I think it just at this point, it kind of it's just harder to take because it's so I don't know, like well, because it takes place after everything you've just seen. <laughs> because it takes place after everything you've just seen. <laughs> And it's jingoistic in a way that, you know, it's obviously they're trying to make a point and the whole next movie is like that, but they have, you know, they, it's so fun you almost don't notice. But mm-hmm. but here when it gets patriotic, it gets really, really patriotic. Well, and it's, so I think you're, I think you're absolutely right, but, but, but for me... I mean, you know, you can look at it this way. This movie fails in a lot of ways at the end of this movie. And yet for me, it's still the magic of this movie. Well, I think you pointed you pointed to something which is interesting that like everyone. Everyone gets their comeuppance. I have a note late on that's that's uh, with Uh regards to Martin Cove's Erickson, who's one of the mercenaries who turned the gun on Troutman, left Rambo out in the field and you know, he's congratulating Rambo, and I even wrote down, having seen this movie so many times that I should know better, I was like, they're not going to let Erickson get away with his behavior in this movie. And he immediately, like, was... Yeah, knee in the balls. Knee in the butt balls, to the head. Butt to the head. And I think, I think the movie is kind of working on that sort of level of you, you see what you want to see. You get enough of that, and then he puts the knife, you know. And well, and that's the one thing I think this movie is so good at is it. And I think it's a product of its time, like we've talked about, because it makes you cheer in the moments where it wants yeah. you to cheer. You know, there's a moment in the middle of the movie when he's caught and he's on the radio with Napier, and he said Napier. You know, Murdoch says, let us know where you are, Rambo. We'll come get you. And then you got the muscle shot on the on the microphone, mm-hmm. like, you know, flexing. And, Murdoch, I'm coming to get yeah. you. And that's just a moment where people go apeshit. And then this last moment where he's got Napier, where he's got Murdoch on the desk and the knife is up. It's, it's so. And he says, you know, there's other people out there. Find them or I'll find you in the slamming down of the knife next to his head. And so they always keep the character. 
towing yeah. that line. Like he is contemplating murder in mm-hmm. that moment, and she chooses not to to murder, but says, "Get your shit together, or I'm gonna come find you, and then I will murder you." <laughs> you know. And for some reason, we reveled in that about this character. Yeah, and I, th- you know, that that that's probably the moment where this becomes a different movie, which is a kind of call to action to American politicians. So, you know, mm-hmm. if he murders him in that moment, it would be very satisfying. But what he does is, you know, basically, it's like. It's like Call your congressman and tell them that there are POW still in Vietnam, basically is what he's saying (laughs) in dialogue form. And then everything that happens from then on in the movie, you can sort of see in in that light that it's breaking the fourth wall and speaking directly to the the American public and the American government. Yes. Um, But you're so right in that this in characterizing this movie as a series of cheers of cheer moments because yeah. that explains to me something which I hadn't really wrapped my head around before. It's like, why does he need so many reasons for revenge? And it's easily explained. It's like, so you can have that moment where he leans into the mic and says, Murdoch, I'm coming to get you. Right. So he can look at Ko's body and then put the bandana on. It's like, he's already in revenge mode. That's his, it's, yeah, that's his default position. Yeah, but it's just, you know, like, but without giving him giving him that extra push, you don't get those moments. And, it, you mm. know, just to circle back to the first scene of the movie, which, you know, you would think I've said everything it's possible to say about it, but I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> the, the Probably the first cheer moment of the movie is when uh, we see Rambo breaking rocks from behind... And he turns to camera yeah. and then a guard calls his name, says, let's go, Rambo. And that. You... Yeah. And he's got this walk. Or is it the third movie? There... Oh, it's the third movie where he's got a walk where it looks like he's looking straight yes. in the barrel of the camera. His his eye is actually just to. And we're nearly we're left, ne- very nearly but... there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but... we're there. So. Anything you have anything left for first? Well, just to say, like that moment that that is like the the first. If if you watching this movie as a series of cheer moments, I think to me that's the first one uh, because there's almost the implication. Mm -hmm. uh, First, it's like you know, it's the star, the star entrance for sure. Yeah, but there's also this sort of sense of like Rambo shouldn't be in prison. You've got you've got the tough. (laughs) You know, you've got the square jaw. You've got you've got the long like, what hair. You... Like it is a moment for people to see the long hair. But if you go, think, Woo-hoo! but it's like all those other cheer moments. If you think about them in isolation, they make zero sense. The idea, it's like it's all predicated right. yeah, on yeah. that we're surprised Rambo is in jail. It's like, have you seen First Blood and what he did? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, I can't believe he only got sentenced to eight years. <laughs> At least you know where you stand in a hellhole. As Spinal Tap reminds Right. All right. Well, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have notes for us, if you've got something you think we missed for Rambo First Blood Part 2, 
please reach out. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com, and we will get back to you and call you out on air. Uh, be sure to rate and review us. It really helps. We want, we want to trick out the algorithm. So for Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We will see you next time for Rambo 3. Say goodbye, Tom. You're free now. <laughs> Take care, everybody.